0: The reading today on this second Sunday of the new church year, the second Sunday of Advent, is a selection from the Psalms as assigned by the Revised Common Lectionary. Psalm 85 is where it is from. It is a psalm written by a singing group. Today we would call them a band. They collaborated together on this number. And they were named the Sons of Korah. They were workers in the Jewish temple, and they produced about a dozen psalms, good enough to make it into the Hebrew hymnal, more than good enough. The sons of Korah wrote such lines as, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in time of trouble. They wrote, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. They wrote, be still and know that I am God. They wrote, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. A constant theme of the sons of Korah is God's unfailing love. And you will hear it in the text today and see why it is so appropriate to be read on this Sunday when the second candle of Advent, the light of love, is shining. Verses 7 through 13 of Psalm 85. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord. And grant us your salvation. I listen carefully to what God the Lord is saying, for he speaks peace to his faithful people. But let them not return to their foolish ways. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, so our land will be filled with his glory. Unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the earth, and righteousness smiles down from heaven. Yes, the Lord pours down his blessings. Our land will yield its bountiful harvest. Righteousness goes as a herald before him, preparing the way for his steps. The word of God for the people of God. A trivia question for you this morning. What was the most played song on radio and television in the 20th century? I'll let you think about that a second. Hmm. Well, according to BMI, the Broadcast Music uh, Incorporated Company, it was a song written by Barry Mann and Cynthia Well, not household names. The song was selected by Phil Spector. He is legendary as a music producer and also a high-profile murderer, but I'll leave that for another time. He chose the song to be record, recorded on a 1964 album for his latest act, The Righteous Brothers. You're close. You got that slide of The Righteous Brothers? Garrett doesn't even know who they are. There you Okay, there you are. The song was entitled, somebody said it over here, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. It was played almost nine million times in the previous century. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. Do, 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 do. You know that one? It's a great song. Uh, For some of you older than me, you heard that song when it was released. I cast no judgments on age. It was a number one hit played solidly over a decade. But if you are closer to my age, you were introduced to this tune in 1986 here. As it played a pivotal role in the movie Top Gun. And Tom Cruise who's the only one from that movie who still looks the same. (laughs) lip sank that in this karaoke bar to the woman that he was courting at the time, and the song was renewed for a brand new generation. And then the song got a second boost in the 1990s when Unchained Melody was released with the movie Ghost, starring Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze. And when they released Unchained Melody again, They put You've Lost That Loving Feeling on the soundtrack again, and there you have it. The most played song in the 20th century, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. We're not playing it today, but I thought we might have to. I asked him to light the candle of hope last Sunday morning. He did so for a brief moment with the cigar lighter from his pocket. He could not keep hope alive Because the wick was not a wick at all. As you can see, it is plastic. These are electric candles. We discovered that about 20 seconds into the challenge. And when Tim turned the candles over to attempt to at least turn one of them on, he did not have his reading glasses. Thus, he succeeded in only loosening the battery compartment on every single one of those candles instead of flipping the switch. And that has all been resolved today. Hope is alive. And the second candle is a hunk a hunk of burning love, another much-played song from the 20th century. We have not lost that loving feeling, or have we? Like Hope last week, you might find love a difficult thing to gin up this Christmas season. You just aren't feeling it. You've lost it, maybe. So I've got some good news for you. Love is not a feeling. Not really. Affection is, passion is, welcome, connection is, and love is foundational to all of these things to be sure. But love goes much deeper than an emotion. Love is more than a feeling. Love is a verb. Love is a way of acting. Love is a state of being. Love is who you are more than how you feel. Emotions are important, and the church has done an effective job in squashing emotions at times. Telling us, oh, just ignore your emotions. Those aren't important. Important, Ignore how you feel. I'm not saying your emotions are inconsequential. Far from it. I am saying that love is greater, more encompassing than those emotions. Can you imagine if your love is based purely on emotion? How does a mother with a colicky baby feel after about the third or fourth hour of trying to comfort that child? She's lost that loving feeling. I guarantee you. How does a dad feel after that 12th round toe-to-toe with the smart-ass 17-year-old son? He's lost that loving feeling, Right? How do you feel your spouse is punch you in the morning at 530 because you haven't heard the alarm clock? Get up, get up, get up. It's time for you to leave. It's time for you to go to work. You've lost that loving feeling. If you rely upon emotion as the source and means of what love is, you're not going to have very many people in your life. Because you're not going to feel good about anyone, not even yourself, all the time. If love was just the emotional feelings of warmth and butterfly kisses, we wouldn't be in love for many hours of the day. Obviously, it's something more. The sons of Korah, wordsmiths that they were, have an idea. They use this phrase, unfailing love, twice in the text this morning. The English translation is pitifully inadequate because we don't have a single word or a single phrase for what the original language is communicating here. In the Hebrew word, it is a single word. In the Hebrew text it is a single word, chesed. And there it is, both in Hebrew and transliterated into English. Now, most of us who are English speaking would have a little we have a little trouble with this word. Maybe if you if you're a native German speaker or Slavic speaker, you can get a little closer to it because the CH has got a sound pardon me, more like a farmer getting ready to spit. And uh, our guides, in, in, uh, our, our guides in, the, in, in the Middle East would say, well, it's easy for us because we live in the desert. And uh, you spend some time in the desert with the sand blowing in the wind. It doesn't take long that it becomes natural to go, I <laughs> try to get all the sand out of your throat. Well, that's what this word sounds like, "Hased," hard, guttural hased." It's the go-to word that a writer would pick in the Hebrew text to describe God's patient, gracious, long-suffering disposition. Chesed is where love and strength and justice and peace and truth and grace and righteousness all come together. This is not just love steadfast love unfailing love not just kindness but dependable kindness not just affection but affection that works for the community's best interest god's unfailing love his steady loving kindness is always there whether we regard ourselves as deserving of it whether we have earned it or not whether it is justifiable or otherwise, God loves and acts for our well-being without pretext, without justification. God loves just because God is love. God is kind because God is simply kind. God is merciful because God is the epitome of mercy. God is good because God really is good. Chesed is that major, the major, if not a major characteristic of the God of the Old Testament. I've heard it explained like this. When a person works for an employer and he or she gets paid, that pay is a recycling of his or her deeds. For example, you work maybe on the docks, loading boxes of stevedore, and you go down to the docks you punch in in the morning, you load those boxes on the ship, you punch out at night and you go home. At the end of the week, you get a paycheck, wages, that you use to buy food, to keep a roof over your head, to support your family. And the energy that is used on the job has been recycled in the form of money. It isn't grace, it isn't kindness, it isn't love. What's love got to do with it? Nothing at all. It, it It is an act of chesed, an act of loving kindness that cannot be recycled. It is something that is given or granted without cause. If you get that for which you have worked, what you have earned, that is fair. But it is not love. You get a paycheck each week from your employer. It's not because your employer loves you. It's because you have earned it. But if you receive something... That you have not earned or worked for. That is chesed. So if I give a gift to a scholarship fund. A gift that cannot be traced back to me or repaid. That is chesed. But if I grant a scholarship for the sake of being recognized. Expecting others to do something for me in return. That is a business transaction. If I do something for you quietly and with no strings attached, that is chesed. If I do something for you so others will see it, that is ego. If I go visit the sick in the hospital because they are unwell and to cheer them up in their sufferings, that is chesed. But if I visit hoping that they will praise me once they are well, that is self-service. If I serve so someone will praise me for my consistency, that is pride. But if I go simply to help without expectation of the customary give and take, that is chesed. The closest word in the New Testament that we have to this is the word agape. And even it doesn't quite capture it all. Agape is one of the words used In the New Testament, for love, it's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, kind, humble. It's self-sacrificing. It's forgiving. It is focused on the truth, on justice, on what is right. It perseveres. It never gives up. That is agape. That is chesed. It is the love God has given to the world. It is the love in the child born at Bethlehem. It is the love within us and available to us if we will have it, if we will Live it out. I say live it out intentionally because it is our state of being. A few weeks ago, I was talking about love and compared it to the air we we, we breathe. Do you remember that? Oh. Thank you. I said the air is both within us and it surrounds us. It is where we get our being, and I should have referenced that old Trog song, Love is All Around. Do you remember that one? I feel it in my fingers. Feel it in my toes. Yeah, that was a missed opportunity. So uh, I'll introduce a different picture today. It's from Dr. James Finley, who studied with Thomas Merton when he was a young man. He provides this image of a stone falling into a well of water. And this well, this, this water is bottomless. It is endless in its depth. So the stone is falling forever. Falling, falling, free falling forever. But sometimes the stone will land on this little protrusion, this little cliff, this little shelf that sticks out from the duct of the column, the wall of the well. And the stone sits there undisturbed for a long, long time. But what, what does water do? Water erodes, and eventually that little shelf gets worn down and the rock falls again. And it just keeps falling into the infinity of the water. Now, Finley uses this example to say this. Now, imagine that you are that stone. Imagine that we are all falling into God and God's vast and infinite love. But we don't fall without interruption we all find those protrusions, those little shelves, and we land on them and we say to ourselves, I'll stop right here. This is far enough for me. I'm content here. I've got it figured out. I don't need the disorientation of continuing to fall. I've got the answers I need for life. I'm not going anywhere else. And we all do that. And we settle. But then Finley says, something will dislodge us. A death, a diagnosis, a personal revelation of some sort, and that settled place where we have been resting, where we thought we had gone far enough, enough or deep enough, erodes beneath us. And then it's back to falling deeper and further into the love of God. How deep is your love, the Bee Gees ask. It's the right question. It's exactly the right question. How much love do you want? How far do you want to go? Do you want enough love just for you and yours? That's not very deep. Or do you want love for those outside your boundaries, outside your borders, outside your tribe? That's a little further. Do you want love for the poor, for the stranger, for the sick, for the homeless, for the hungry, the naked? That's further still. Do you want love for the enemy, for the world? You have to fall a long time, sometimes, for that. But that is chesed. Not warmness, not friendship, but doing and wanting what is best for all. Where love, strength, justice, peace, truth, grace, and righteousness all Come together verse 10 of that text today unfailing love has said and truth have met together righteousness and peace have kissed what a beautiful turn of phrase that is it was 115 years ago that a great revival swept through the region of wales And it was not like the great awakenings of the American frontier. It was unlike the religious explosion in the late 1800s here in this country. It was unique in that it wasn't personality driven. There was no John Wesley or D.L. Moody or Jonathan Edwards to pin the movement on. It just erupted. And by some accounts, this renewal began when a small group of Christians were getting together and they were sharing their personal testimonies. A group no larger than our Bible study group that meets here on Wednesdays, or our prayer group that meets here on Tuesdays. And in that group was a little teenage girl, and she was timid and afraid, but utterly sincere. And she stood up and said, very simply, with a shaky voice, I love Jesus. (laughs) And it seemed to enliven that group, and then it enlivened their church, and it just exploded. And there are people who study spiritual movements and spiritual revivals. And what was so unique, again, not just about personality, but about the Welsh revival, is that it was really a love affair. So many of our spiritual awakenings have been driven by guilt, by shame, by fire and brimstone, by, uh, by bow, browbeating both uh, the faithful and the unrepentant until everybody is in, in a frothing mess. But this was different. It was just love. This sense in in an entire region, entire country, that God's love was up to something. And there was a forgotten hymn that was decades old by the time of the Welsh revival. But it became its official theme. It was written by a Welshman, William Rees, in his native Gaelic tongue. And the first stanza began... My best effort, Dama Galri Aut more Lloyd, translated loosely into English, Here is Love, Vast as an Ocean. We sing that song regularly here. It's a, one of the two favorite hymns of mine. And in my mind's eye, I can see young Rees, who did not live to see his hymn become a national sensation, standing on the craggy Coast of Wales, not far from Liverpool, looking out across the Irish Sea. And he writes, Here is love, vast as an ocean, loving kindness, chesed, like a flood. And then taking this line from Psalm 85, he sang, as these words have always been intended to be sung, Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. That is chesed. And is indeed where everything good comes from. And it is only found by falling deeper and deeper into the love of God.